to me, Hab? To you, Hab? Don't get the Chuckle Brothers in to help with your well-being. Go to Joe Turner and invest in your health for a change. Put your oxygen mask on first with coaching, resources and supportive community at mehab.co.uk. Brad. There we go. How are you, mate? You okay? I'm all right, mate. How are you? I'm a bit tired of these, these physical chat. I don't know if I saw those coming, which is a bit of a surprise. I think I expected to be sort of tortured with food and drink and attempts to humiliate me, but the physical <laughs> ones I wasn't used to. And I'm so out of shape. It's ridiculous. But, but yeah, other than that, I'm doing well, I'm, okay. I'm mate. quite pleased with how easily I knocked out those 20 press-ups. So. Yeah, well done, mate. So what have you been up to today? Pre-season friendly. Nice. Busy day. How'd you play? Uh, personally, not that well, but uh, we won. That's the main thing. <laughs> Bollocks. <laughs> team game. It's a team game. Yeah, no. You'd, you know, unless you, unless you've changed completely, then you'd sooner have better personal performance in a loss. Hmm. No. Not now. <laughs> Change man. Team, team player now. I mean, we, you know. Do we? I can't help but think we do need to talk about kneecaps because you'd get like you'd get the shakes if we didn't. But we don't have to. I don't mean to pigeonhole you. We can talk about whatever you want, mate. <laughs> it's shoulders. twenty to eleven on a Saturday night. I can try and talk shoulders <laughs> if you want. <laughs> well, one of the things that most of these have started out with has been some reflections on um kind of because you were you're i don't know when our first first interactions were but can't have been long into it that we were sort of aware of each other and and you were contributing some of your thoughts onto the podcast and 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 sharing them and stuff and so i suppose i just want to sort of invite a throwback really as to as to what your early recollections are of it and the fact that you're still hanging about it tells me that you've not Thought you never really totally fell out with it. So, what are your what are your stories from TPMP past? Uh, I think the the first thing we did together was a sort of a response a response to um, I think it might have been your first podcast with Greg um, Greg Layman. Oh right, around, uh, yeah. around biomechanics, and I I'd, I'd be interested to to listen to it back now because. Uh, I suspect the way the way I view things now is probably fairly different. I mean, from memory, it was pretty early on in my uh, in my PhD process, and uh, yeah, I'd be interested to listen back because I suspect I probably think about things slightly differently now. <laughs> Do you think that in that? Because I, re- I remember when you mean, and I bet we'll, we'll be able to look it up, um, but I bet it will be. Maybe early 2015. Sounds about right. Yeah, it's kind of nine. nine so, do you think? Do you think that? Do you think so? Whilst both of you naturally a lot, a lot of time has passed, a lot of interactions have passed since then. But do you feel that you've found yourself closer or further away 
from his position that you were challenging and you weren't challenging every aspect of it of course but i mean like what is it that you're saying if you feel that you'd feel differently about it like on in what way do you think your critique would be stronger of that or do you mean that you feel that you've been persuaded or the evidence has moved in that direction probably more the latter i would say in that um you know i would imagine along with my usual sort of heavy dose of, of nuance and uh, and living in the gray etc i think i was probably more convinced around the relationship between biomechanics and and, and particularly patellofemoral pain kneecap pain than uh, than i am now certainly you know i I still think there is a relationship there, but certainly not as strong as as perhaps I I would have argued for early on in my PhD. And I think, you know, just just colloquially, I sort of I find that uh, Greg and I probably agree more than we disagree these days, which uh, mm. I don't know. Don't, mm. want to, don't want to pump his tires too much, but uh... <laughs> I think what what I find interesting and kind of did then is that I could understand why at the time, with an absence of, of strong evidence to either effect, I could understand why the default would be then to err uh, towards it mattering less. Like it, this was this interesting sort of entry point that I found myself on looking on at, at yours and Greg's interactions then, and to a lesser extent now, is that for me, unless there's compelling evidence to suggest some sort of linkage, then my default would be towards, you know, just a movement liberation for want of a better term, that, 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 you, can, that you, move, you can move how you want to move and that until this sort of compelling evidence and, and by compelling, I mean, it doesn't matter where you set that bar, I guess, I'm just meaning that the, the sort of default position, unless persuaded otherwise, is to leave folk alone. Now, I, I, I kind of learned from observation that some people just that in absence in absence of compelling evidence the sort of default understanding of what biomechanical norms were is what people would regress to almost like a, a that that how the text unless unless i'm compelled to do otherwise then the more textbook understanding of how we have as to what human biomechanics would be would be what they would default on and that's quite a difference. And that for me, I always found that you were someone that was, it felt far too stripped back and far too clumsy to go to, well, we don't know, so therefore we'll let people move how they want to move. It seemed like it was too, too much of a jump. Is that a fair representation? And obviously it's of you back then, less so now. Yeah, I, I think the reality is that not everything that matters can be measured and not everything that that can be measured matters and you know the the breadth of literature we have particularly in in the patellofemoral pain field centers on kinematics geometric movement which we're sort of naturally drawn to i think as physiotherapists because whatever system you're using right from the eyes you have in your head to 3d motion capture involving anatomically identified bone pins we can see movement and as a result we like to think we can measure movement and actually right. what i found throughout the process of my phd is that actually measurement of, of movement varies heavily across populations across systems across operators the associations we have between 
if we hang on kinematics for a moment, kinematics and, and symptoms isn't perhaps as strong as, as some people will make out. The ability we have to measure it clinically is pretty poor. And as a result, it's probably going to form a relatively small amount of relationship to care for the average person. And, but in saying all of that, I don't necessarily think it's that different to any other variable we look at in that we're all in different ways convinced that it's sleep hygiene or it's nutrition or it's strength or it's anxiety or any of these variables that we can measure to different degrees that different people, different folks, different strokes are all convinced sort of hold the key between the association <laughs> of optimum human yeah. function uh, and my position now is probably actually I'm, I'm not convinced by the association for any of them to be either particularly strong or or be of particularly quality evidence yeah and and i think that's something that you have been fairly consistent on is that you've held you've held a skepticism that you've you've noticed in in critics of some of your favorite things historically, you've always noticed that they've each got their own thing that's usually held just as just as uh, tightly, if not more tightly than you're holding your thing, but no one's got particularly compelling evidence to support it. So it's been, I found it really fascinating to watch how you know, you, you were you were always bothered about what it was that was under underpinning their favored, favorite thing. Um, did you ever, because you had the chance to, because you were studying, obviously, for your PhD, was it because you were able to understand the methodologies, interpret results, you know, at a, at a level that's obviously more, uh, you, you're, you're better trained and more experienced and exposed than, than the layman would be on that, that that's one of the things you found that you couldn't help but roll your eyes, that you were re receiving critiques from people whose favorite thing would not hold the same scrutiny that were applying to yours. There was an inconsistency there that was frustrating because I feel like I sensed some of that from you both publicly and, and privately. And uh, and that's, I'll admit, one of the things that sort of drew us to each other a bit as well is because we were bothered about that increasingly. Like we were bothered about having a consistency with that filter. Yeah, and I think one of my sort of broader criticisms of the physiotherapy profession, and, and I say this quite regularly, I feel like I can criticise physio because I am one and uh, and care deeply about it as a result. But I don't think we are consistent in our criticisms most of the time. And, you know, again, we've, we've had this conversation in the past previously. I'd love to see a greater level of critical thinking, scientific literacy, whatever term whatever term we choose to use for it i'd love to see us as a profession moving forward being able to interpret these things to a, to a better level to allow us to be consistent you know again i'm i'm seeing these you know various different you know lots of social media platforms that i don't engage with tiktok being a primary example you know and videos of people calling out you know, poor practice or bullshit, as you know, some people choose to call it. And I look at it and go, well, I can laugh at it. And that intervention, you know, is clearly either laughable or, you know, potentially dangerous if we're looking at, you know, chiropractic manipulation of, of newborn babies, as an example. But how far away from that are we when we then, in the same breath, champion exercise 
as an intervention for everything. And even if exercise doesn't change pain and function because it's great for our cardiovascular health and our metabolic health, we should just do it anyway. It might not be perfect, but we should just do it anyway. Now, I don't think, I don't think they're the same, I'm using a pop fiction analogy. It's not the same sport, but they kind of are both sports, if you see what I mean. They're maybe not played in the same arena, but I don't think they're as far away from each other as some people may think. Yeah, well, there's maybe two things there. One, one is that, one I'd agree with you on, where it's just like, you've got to be consistent, definitely. And I think we are super guilty of that. I think that the, the, the outcome switching point, which is the second bit, I think is an interesting one, depending on whether or not that is being implied. So if someone presents with a, a, painful, a, a painful problem, painful condition, that they then, um, it's being implied to them that exercise is the treatment of choice for the resolution of that pain, then that is, that is one thing. If you then were to say, because uh, because that's a, that's a claim that's a claim of 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 making a change like someone that might be um, having manipulation now do we think it's sort of more feasible than sort of realigning both spines or chakras you, you know you can make that plausibility claim to make it slightly stronger but generally if it's not an outcome switch whereby it's like yeah but why not you know you 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 you're getting fitter and it's instead that worst case scenario you get fitter stronger more flexible and you've your cardio improves right so it's one of them whereby it's like here are some secondary benefits that we're quite confident on physiologically then that's a sort of different ethical argument because it depends as to what it is that's being suggested and sold and i think that that's where i mean would you would you agree with that or do you think that actually that's just a rhetorical game where it, it doesn't matter you, you, whether or not you're what it is you're suggesting or promising to the patient yeah, and I, and I think it's in, in part driven by, I think I've, I've vaguely heard, initially when I first dialed in, my headphones were connected to my phone and my and my computer, and I couldn't hear the conversation you and Paul were having, and I thought, oh no, we have some technical problems here. And then when I eventually sorted it out, I think I heard him say something about, we've got a really poor ability to identify who will benefit from that. And that's definitely one of my sort of research goals over the remainder of, of my physiotherapy academic career. I'd love to try and answer that question, you know, in terms of who would benefit from treatment A versus treatment B, or who would be more likely to benefit. And if we but take- that's where we do, just, uh, just sorry to, I'm sorry to interrupt on that, because I will let you finish, but that is super familiar that for chiros and, uh, and acupuncturists and stuff, like narrowly interventional specialists that have their modus operandi that's founded in a modality. That is just, it's so classic, like, how can we learn who it, why it is that these people benefit so much from X? And it's like being drawn that way whilst a totally laudable pursuit is something that often is done by those of us and, and, and professions and those that favor a modality in such a way that then are just trying to grasp, again, the specificity that, that there's something, there is something in this if only we could select better rather than wanting to understand the way in which this actually the, the the why is is something that might part of the reason it's so elusive could be a more profound ph philosophical problem over where we've made the mistakes upstream so i'm like i say i'm really sorry to interrupt you on it because it may well be that you don't disagree with that but it's just that can you not see how reason i've been a bit triggered by it is because it's just super familiar like it, it's super mm. familiar like almost 
excuse-based practice, which I know you don't indulge. And it, but it, it comes in levels, you know. So if we, so where I was kind of going with it is, if we look at, obviously, let's let's look at PFT. Why not? May as well. And you know, <laughs> we've we, we've got exercise and we've got foot orthoses, right? Two interventions that both demonstrate primary efficacy in the short term, right? Kind of little teaser of this big review we're we're hopefully about to publish. And I think there are lots of physios out there that would lean on the sort of principles of let's make every contact count, which again, I'm an advocate of from a public health perspective. I think it's really important. Sure, sure, yeah. You know, the secondary benefits that exercise offer that orthoses wouldn't directly offer. But the reality is the number needed to treat for orthoses is much lower than exercise if we look at PFP. And if we've mm -hmm. given exercise to someone that would really more like, be more likely to benefit from orthoses purely because of the secondary benefits that exercise offers, that for me is is also excuse-based practice. I'm going to grab hold of the thing that yes. I think is is the best, yes. and I'm not going to use those orthoses because they're going to make your feet weak and they're a brace. And again, a load of stuff that isn't evidence-informed in any way. True. So I yeah, sort yeah, yeah. of see them as one and the same. And then to kind of flip yes. it back around, in, in terms of how you would answer that, who is more likely to benefit question, the reason it's so hard in terms of, scientific research is you just need massive numbers you know you need you need huge populations to be able to do that which is you know something we're not particularly great at doing in the in the musculoskeletal physiotherapy setting we don't often run these rcts that have you know a sample size that has four numbers in it rather than two numbers most commonly you know so that's mm. that's part of why it's difficult to answer but it sort of goes in levels you know so again if we if we pick on dry needling acupuncture if we think about PFP, it doesn't demonstrate primary efficacy. Again, there's a little spoiler, but it's in the abstract that was peer reviewed and published ahead of Sports Congress. There's there's no data to support the use of dry needling or acupuncture in, in PFP. So it shouldn't even be able to get up that next rung of the ladder to allow it to be eligible for that who is more likely to benefit question. But there will be people out there that will still use it and I kind of don't lose any sleep over that because, you know, you can only do so much. You know, you and I can only do so much. The wider professions can only do so much. So if there are people out there who will go, yeah, I kind of see that evidence, but it's not for me and, I, and I'm going to do my thing. And you kind of, you know, I, I've stopped losing sleep over that stuff because it's a problem that isn't going to be solved. You know, so I, I would rather lift up the people that are, going where the evidence should take them rather than calling out the people that aren't on social media because i see the former being more effective than the latter but that's that's always been my approach so yeah and that's and that's one of the things that's been hard really for me when i think about this as an entire project which you can imagine i have been in recent weeks is that i have just really tried to simultaneously do that like i could not find myself both by disposition as a person but also having observed where I could, the evidence wherever I could find it, both written and, and observed, for whether or not there was a benefit to simply celebrating the good or simply critiquing the bad or mocking the bad or whatever version of, of, of sort of um, dissent in that direction was. And so I found that Physio Matters has always tried to stand for both, really. It doesn't let much bullshit slide. But then similarly, and this is what Matt Phillips came on earlier and was saying something similar to what you are there, where it's just like, God, that's just, there is something a bit tragic about only doing one or the other. 
But I found that what's interesting is that the industry that I found when I came into the profession, but particularly when I started to become sort of semi-public person in it, is that it was just that, that there was literally only the agreeable sort of championing the good and that there was just a lot of places for for the bad to hide and that these things were very difficult to differentiate and so i think that that's one of the things that remains an open question both for what works what helps what changes improves public messaging but also what can keep us sane and mature like what is authentic what is actually the difference really um for between us and, and other professions or other industries or what call it what you will because i'm i'm always nervous about the fact that if you don't get a balance of championing the good and critiquing the bad then that's a really that's quite an odd position to be in in life right where else would you do that where else wouldn't you offer some sort of discerning judgment as to whether or not to do a thing you would usually balance it between that seems a good idea and that seems less of a good idea and i'm going to weigh those things up so when we sometimes present ourselves too far in one direction or the other i think that's one of the things that makes it look like performance art because it just seems so counter to whatever else we do in life and and, and by the way i'm saying this thinking that this is one of the areas i think we've we agree on most really and why i'm always been surprised over the years that we've retained a working relationship and a friendship is because i think in many ways i've always looked on and just thought like i'm i'm kind of your worst nightmare really i'm a commentator that's never really studied anything properly and i don't know much <laughs> but i talk about a lot and i just always found it amusing that you even gave me time of day ah it's your, your lovable roguish charm mate that's what it is um and no i do <laughs> i i do see what you're saying you know but then I guess my counter would be, I think there's there's a difference between constructive criticism and, and just out and out criticism. And if we kind of see, you know, clinicians who don't sort of adhere to what the wider profession would consider to be evidence informed practice in the same way that someone decides that they don't want a COVID vaccine because they don't want Bill Gates living inside their brain and controlling how much Microsoft product they buy. Neither of those people are really going to be convinced to change their behavior as a result of harsh criticism, ridicule, whatever approach you may take. So I'm kind of absolutely comfortable with calling out or delivering constructive criticism in domains where I think yeah, I don't agree with that and I'm fairly confident I can make a, a very reasoned argument as to why but I think if you go too far the other way it's just un so unlikely to result in behavior change you know yeah and it's such a, it's such a shame we're out of time because you're wrong but I haven't got time to explain why I think um, one of the bigger <laughs> ones is that is is that you, you you've done this before it's like you und you underestimate we need to get more beers down us for this but you underestimate comedy for us for a form of social good like the the way in which sometimes being exposed or, or or satire sometimes the way that that can confront you artistically this is the and the, this is the thing is that me the sort of arty linguist and you the numerate scientist right i accept that this is an you know an interesting yin and yang difference between us on this but i do think you sometimes underestimate those forces, definitely sometimes immeasurable forces, I accept. So I'm not saying, I'm not hanging my hat on this. You know, it's one of them things that study it more carefully, we can, could can realize that I am over-presenting that. But generally speaking, I will admit that though, some of the things that move me most are some of those cutting cultural arguments that sometimes do 
uh, poke at my own sort of um, sacred cows. And and I think that that's something that that is fairly well documented and different people get moved by different things. So I think we spread as bets, really. That's why I end up being a bit on the fence on this in a way is that, well, or I piss everyone off evenly <laughs> or I try and pick a few different things is because I can't, I can't agree with you necessarily, but I do understand that it's not that you, it's not that you're wrong. I just think that there's other, there's other, there are other ways really. Um, and, and, and that I just can't, we're in the persuasion game we are with patience and that there are contexts in which things are and aren't appropriate and you won't have me bantering and dismissing patience as sarcastically as i might do a colleague that's doing something differently and when it comes to the sort of um trying to persuade people especially what physio matters has been about you know i am always trying to look for where we can get the most bang for his book and i might not have always got it right but it's just that the that's why i'm glad to still have people like you in tow uh, that I've not, I've clearly not been lampooning things rudely in such a way that you've therefore kept your distance. Um, but then similarly, I do know that that is a tension between us that we'll fight about another time, maybe because we're out of time. But you know, I hope, I've, uh, hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally. And I, I, I completely accept that there's always more than one way to skin a cat, and different people will respond to different forms of feedback, right? And I guess that I, I, I mm. suppose my sort of my my overall primary thought would be that I doubt the majority would respond positively to being ridiculed. Some may well, right? And it may be the thing that that turns them around. But yeah, but then that's the that's well, there is a relevant difference in in ridiculing people and ridiculing things, or you know, where you're trying to take the edge off the personal aspect to it, which has definitely been more my approach. I can't think of a time, and I'd you know be gutted if I could if someone could point one out of which I've then gone at and and, and lampooned a, an individual um, rather than it being a sort of style of practice that they sometimes associate so strongly with that it has wounded them. But that's quite a different sort of mm. uh, trying to play the ball, not the man type type situation. Yeah. But anyway. So Jack, okay. you're, you're upright. I can't believe how good you look. <laughs> Oh, thanks. Yeah, that's good. I think it, I'm really impressed with this lighting. If I'm honest, like I, I feel like I'm doing okay. Like this is a, this is like a cheap makeup light thing. That's sort of. I, I feel like I don't look quite as gaunt as I expected to be. Um, this time yet? A, maybe there's a lot of coffee, empty coffee, empty beer cans, <laughs> empty envelopes. But yeah, we're nearly there. It's not far. Very off, good. No. Not Very far good. off. How have you been? You okay? You had a nice weekend. Yeah, yeah, all good. Yeah, my little girl's been away on her first ever sport tour away from home and she's back in one piece, so that's good. Yeah, Brilliant. hockey that's tour nice. in Edinburgh in in, uh, in the snow. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. Well, it's been a wi weird weather, hasn't it? That's the last yeah. few days. It's yeah. absolutely wild. <laughs> yeah, let's get some comments up. How are you holding up treacle? You see, I assume that's Adam asking that to me yeah. rather than to you. That would be rude, well, isn't you it? Well, you don't know, do you? Calling your, calling your treacle. <laughs> Luke, Luke said blimey didn't realize we'd be subjected to all this potty mouth that'll be joe saying pissed off uh what i said what pisses you off and she felt naughty saying it um, i know i heard that so funny. did you get that yeah i know right. i know yeah. i was listening there was so much so much stuff there that was just so interesting and resonated 
Really? So much, so much. Really? And uh, I thought, you know, when she was talking about we need to be sort of communication superpowers, I think was her phrase. And I just thought it's really interesting to me at the moment in my area because there's so much emphasis on exercise and improving our ability to prescribe exercise, which, which is great because we need to be better as a profession at doing that for sure. But, you know, I, I think even when you have a really motivated person in front of you, to send them on their way and expect them to do what you've asked them to do, like maybe, you know, once, twice a day or every other day, whatever it may be, yeah. for many weeks, even in a super motivated person, is such an ask and let's mm. face it most of our patients perhaps aren't as motivated and if you look at work like say ben smith's work his qualitative work yeah it's he it, and he really explored the belief mechanisms behind patients with patellofemoral pain so the one of the main themes in his theme mask analysis was that these patients believe their problem had come on because of exercise and the exercise was harmful and then Often by the time they get to me, they've also had failed treatment, which has often been loads of squats and lunges, which <laughs> make them really sore. So we've got a, a, an emergency. Some pattern. step ups. They usually throw a step up in yeah, there. If you, they? Yeah, that's always good as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. or a bit of CrossFit or military fitness. That's sort of thing. Yep. <laughs> and Sorry, so, they, so the problems come on from, from sport, from something to do with the way that they're managing their load in their sport. They've then therefore got that belief system, exercise is harmful. They've then gone and seen a physio who's done an exercise-based treatment that's made them worse. So if I don't spend significant amounts of time with really, hopefully, you know, in-depth expert communication unraveling that, the chances of them going away and doing more exercises, you know, you might as well yeah, go and have a great you know, point, it, yeah. it's so important. So are we as expert at our communication or are people aspiring? Perhaps that's more. Are they aspiring to be as good at their communication as they are as their exercise prescription or their manual therapy or their taping? You know, and I, 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 I just think it needs further thought. And I really mm. like this psychiatric model of not knowing. And that's so interesting. So it basically flips on its head. It says, you as the clinician, you don't know anything. And within the patient, they know everything that is needed to know about your interaction between you as the therapist and them as the patient. And it's your job to be, you know, a blank canvas and start and just prompt and facilitate so that you can inductively build and really understand their narrative. And I know that that phrase gets banded around quite a lot, but really properly understand their narrative mm. so that then our communication back to them is meaningful and will resonate. And if you can get it to resonate and them to think, right, you know, this, this, this physio really gets me. They really understand why this is a problem to me or what I, what I can't do. Or, and then, you know, you can really build on that. You've got those communication sort of foundations. And I think that, um, you know, as you were saying, Mike Stewart's work, you know, saying, do you truly listen or do you think you listen? Yeah, do you wait, do you wait to speak again? Yeah, and I, and I, I so was, I so was, yeah. It, it's, it's really, it's, it's so important and it's, and it's hard. And I think also, you know, length of clinics, I find, 
if I do more than five hours on the trot, I, I just, it, my ability to do this just drops off, like, psh, forget it. Really? You know, I just find I can't, I need a break to be able to sustain that level of communication skill. And I've really come to realize that. And so I really try and manage my diary because mm. of that, um, because it's central to how I work. So if, if suddenly... Yeah. No good, to, any, work, no good you know? to anyone. Yeah, it was super, yeah. super inefficient if you didn't. That's interesting. How long would you need to have a, have a bit of downtime in order to do another? Like, if, could, you, could you do a 10-hour day if there was a, a, an hour in the middle of it? Not that I'm no. suggesting you should, but... No. <laughs> you know. yeah, some, no, people are that, some people are like that, aren't they? Like, it's weird. Like, if they just had a bit of downtime, even if it was 20 minutes, they seem to be able to go again. It's like it's a crazy one, but... Is that is that within a within a day? Like is that? Yeah. So I might do. Yeah. So I might do sort of uh, five hours, ha have half an hour off, and then maybe another couple of hours, and that yeah. you know that's that's yeah. be done definitely. Yeah, it's a cracker. That's a cracker of a clinical day. I think sometimes we, especially in the era of triage and FCP and stuff like that, it's sometimes we're like uh, it's a weird skewed skewed our thinking a bit, hasn't it? Where it's been like. A, 15 to 20 patient day is like a typical day. It's like sod that for a life. Like I can't yeah. even, it's mad that we we do that to ourselves. And also it just it blurs the lines between your memories of, of the patients and stuff in such a way that I don't think is, is healthy for that report. <laughs> if we are saying that communication is is key. I know. And also for me, obviously, because I'm just treating patients with paternal pain. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's good. I'm saying it with a varied case. Um, what what area of the body was it? Was that the crackling? Was that the crackling kneecap? Yes, I think it was. Yes, next to the crackling kneecap. Yeah. Um, what, what I what I wonder on that is that not the perfect analogy, but I just think that uh, exercise for me is amongst other modalities that are orbiting communication as a sort of master variable, really, because it's just it's like none of it works without being able to articulate that to a patient at all and now within that communication i admittedly consider something that is just this notion of sort of paced functional restoration it's not even a modality it's not even its style of practice as such it's just this reassurance and because part of your communication is to just reassure them that you, know, you can do that here's some permission if i've got if you're giving me the authority or that's something that would be useful so i kind of bundle that in and that's just this the sort of central master variable. One of the things that I've noticed on this on this podcast over the 24 hours is there are a few people that are more into specificity than me that my argument to them has been like, if we're going to grant each other the fact that we're both getting out decent outcomes, because I can't prove otherwise in part, but for the hypothetical, then to me, I can explain why they're getting these outcomes with that specificity. But they would struggle if they really think there is something special within that specificity. I'm, I'm mixing my words a bit here, but that they would really struggle to explain why I might get outcomes. You know, you could, because because fundamentally, I'm I'm the one that's saying there's a few different ways to skin that cat, and I totally understand and respect the fact that that's how you're skinning it. But they think there's something in that accuracy and and i'm not always meaning that i'm i'm super broad all the time I, I try and use this mantra of saying that you treat specific things specifically and general things generally and you know it's not always easy to work that out but i think my reason i work on such a stripped back model is is in part because i'm i just think that that's a smart default until we know otherwise like i just feel like it, both in evidence and experience and when you sort of get that higher end pattern recognition 
and that the, or the patient gives you some really quite interesting and unique clues that make you be a bit more creative and a bit more edgy. But, but for me, it's like it should take for that pressure. It should take for it should take for something unique like that to really inspire you in that direction. Because if you're doing that all the time, then you're just so at risk of just being like a, you, you're almost it's fun, but it's also it's a it's a little bit to for, for, for my taste anyway because i know i could i could go that way but i know that i would be somewhat succumbing to my own sort of temptations to be a bit guru you know my own temptations to be like a mr hyper novel and just be like no you're the you're this you really unique person that needs me to do this with you now and it's just like i'd almost go to i'd be too wacky i guess I'm really saying this because I'm feeling a bit mental uh, having been up all night. But I, I guess uh, I hope that any of that has made sense, Claire. Um, or, or do you think it, what I'm describing is a bit too boring? I don't know. Well, I think, no, I mean, it's interesting. And I was thinking as you were talking there about education and uh, as in education of physios um, on mm, and you right. get courses where people go on and it's in a, on these sort of guru courses. And the dynamic's really interesting because sometimes on these you get the big cheese at the front, the big I am, this is how you do it, and you know, I, this is the way. And actually, their whole modus operandi is potentially to make someone in the audience think, oh, yeah, you know, I didn't know anything compared to that. Gosh, I, you know, I didn't know any of that. And actually, it's been, and for me, what was really interesting was teaching in Spain. I've done quite a lot of teaching in Spain. They're the, um, the field of education, CPD and postgraduate CPD is, I would say, quite far behind the UK. And it's, it's, it's very male and it's very much the male lecturer stands at the front and says this and they're the guru. Right. and Didactic. Yeah, very didactic and very, um, uh, uh, yeah, sort of a, a very egotistic as well. And, right. uh, you know, that isn't really how I work. And when I've done my teaching over there, which ironically is to a much more female-dominated audience because the profession there is still more female-dominated. Right. And they'll so be that, there, is, yeah. there is the final irony, is mm. that, you know, to actually say, well, let's move away from that sort of guru stance and say, look, we've, and I often say to patients, look, to the physios, you've all, you all know most of this. You all know a lot of this anatomy and this physiology. So all I'm going to do is empower you to join up your dots that are already in your head and, you know, try and pull on that experience that you've already already got as a clinician and look at the experience in the room of, you know, all the different people and say, actually, you can do this and just give you mm. a few pointers and make people feel good about themselves. Because I think that's another thing that really, you know, what you were saying, you were saying what pisses you off. What pisses me off is when people try and make people feel... Yeah, do you want that question, Claire? Yeah, I, was, I, was, I promise I was going to ask you the same. Like, I, I was going to be that. I was. So you can well, go there now. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of, it's when people are made to feel small and like that they can't, that they can't do it. You know, we've all had the same physio training. Uh, within reason we all experience patients so mm. of course people can do it you know and it's um the arrogance at times just really irritates me that you know well why why is this this physio so much better you know what well, how can they credibly sort of make that case and part of that is sort of slating others and making them and particularly uh perhaps more junior members of our profession feel 
you know that uh, that they don't know what they're doing and i and i, I that really that just really irritates me i just think you know empower mm. people make people feel good about themselves bring the best out in people mm. <laughs> don't slack well, no, I, yeah i mean I, I agree with that love that i think it'd be make for a much healthier place that comes from insecurity as well in a weird way isn't it because you've got then the because you pray you, if you're trying to do that you're preying on insecurities in the audience that like you said someone is going to sit there and, and and because of their circumstances be in awe but they're being they're in awe of a performance that's yeah, rarely yeah. authentic rarely is nearly as as even if it is as confident as it's being presented, it's usually based in an arrogance that's unjustified by the actual subject matter. Because in our industry, it'd be incredibly weird if they were being so matter of fact on something that they should be quite as matter of fact about. Because there's so many grey areas. You know? So this many grey areas. Isn't, this isn't this isn't mathematics. He's not, he's not stood up there in front of really concrete equations. So then, I think why I recognise what you're saying there and I agree with it and then I also find myself remembering how I felt not dissimilar at times but completely independently of the profession and the industry at large and what I've ended up being within it I think that in a strange way it's some of the same sorts of forces that I don't think are necessarily that admirable by the way so I'm not defending them but I think some of my own arrogance the struggle of a better of a better word you know i've always sort of discovered i've got a pathologically high self-esteem like as a person not as a physio not necessarily as a, a podcast or anything like that but i'm just meaning like as i'm really good at being jack chew because i'm the only one and that that generally means it's like the wonderful thing about tiggers is now i really am going crazy aren't i but you know it's it's that you kind of what else that help has helped me to just never really meaningfully feel that way because I just can't help but to be like, well, what on earth would make you want me to feel like that? Because I couldn't, I couldn't help you if I feel like that, or you couldn't help me if it, you know, it's why would you try to undermine that? And it's something that's always been fairly straightforward for me, but I'll admit that that comes from a, a version of my own arrogance. I don't know if I'm sort of fighting fire with fire on. Well, that, I think this is interesting because actually, I think this comes from Buddhism actually, but they talk a lot about the difference between confidence and arrogance. And I think this is quite an, a, a central to this. So arrogance is where you have a poor self-appraisal. So, you know, I, so it's like me saying, um, I'm a, I'm a great, great knee surgeon. <laughs> you know, that would be pretty, a pretty poor appraisal. <laughs> so, but if I said, actually, you know, I'm confident in my abilities as a physiotherapist in the field of patellar femoral pain, is that so arrogant? Actually, it's probably just that I'm confident in my own space with that. Yeah. But I guess that my issue, my beef is how people then make the other people feel around them. So what I try and do is say, you know, I have had the luxury of treating solely patellar femoral pain for whatever it is now, 17, 18 years. You know, that is a very privileged position. And that's, I think I worked out recently, 10, over 10,000 patellar femoral patients. So, you know, <laughs> so I, that's a privilege and I can draw on that, but I want to draw on that and then use that meaningfully to help other people on right. their journey. You know, right. I don't want to do it to put me on a pedestal and go, well, look at me, you know, aren't I amazing? Because that, who, who's that helpful for? No, and obviously, yeah, I can see that that's just not something that you would even, <laughs> it's not as if you like, 
are tempted by that and hold yourself back. Like you just <laughs> never, you would never think like that. Do you think that people are meaning to be mean on that? Like, I wonder um, what's your sort of source as to why people I, people I, do. I that. like to think. I mean, I'm. I, I like to always try and see the good in people. So I would. I kind of say no. I don't think people set out to be mean. But I think the insecurity thing you mentioned before is very relevant. So sometimes it's that, so. that, you know, comment of, you know, if, if I sort of put people in their box a little bit, it makes me feel a bit more elevated. So I think there's definitely some of that. And then I think also just the whole modus operandi of social media and the sound bites and the abruptness and how it can be cut and, mm. and you know, tip into unprofessional. And even if people, again, don't mean to be cut, it's how the reader construes it, isn't it? And of course, as the reader, if you're feeling insecure, you're going to interpret something in a more um, demeaning, uh, demeaning way than someone else might who's feeling confident about it. So it, mm. it, it, it's, it's, a, it's another sort of tricky area, isn't it? Mm. Do you, because this is something that I remember, it's not something me and you have interacted with like super regularly, certainly not compared to kneecaps, but it's something that, that you know, it's cropped up now and again, which has been like the, the you know, bravado, misogyny, sort of male energies that get out of, out of whack that can sometimes be, you know, especially in their stereotypical form or everything you're describing, you know, they, they are needing to push themselves ahead at the cost of someone else. It, it's not, it's not collaborative. It's, it's naturally sort of, um, a zero sum, you know, when it's when it's uh, when it's done badly. It's certainly a, a force and, and an, an energy I, I I hate, and I've got my own. I'm not, and, and, but you know, I'll, I'll admit that, that, that there's there's people that that, uh, that that think I'm guilty of it. You know, there's certain analyses of, of, of me that that would say like it's hypocrisy for me to be talking about it like this. But you know, occasionally, me and you have, have, have chatted about it, or it's come across each other's musings in this direction. I don't think, I don't think from what I recall, there's conflict, you know, any conflict between us on it. But, you know, how much is, is, is that central to it? And, and you know, is, is that something, because we know that that is a, a wider social problem far beyond them, far beyond healthcare and stuff, that is this just our version of it? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it certainly plays a part, but in both directions. I think, you know, I, I think from and say take a field like telephone pain because historically it's been very biomechanical i think that has therefore attracted you know more men into that area and that area of academia um and i think that so there's there's a role for men i think to be a, a, a sort of aware that okay we might dominate the space a bit and actually it, it, it's we need to sort of not put an olive branch out but sort of be welcoming and facilitate women coming into this arena and then for women I think it's a bit like you know I don't agree with all of her work but Sheryl Sandberg's work the, this you know she's like the CEO of um, Facebook yeah um, her, her book Lean In you know it's yeah. controversial I say I don't agree in all of it but sure. certainly some of it I I, I really agree <laughs> Oh, brilliant! That is the cameo that I was wanting, especially oh, as we're talking there about we what we've we're got talking the dynamic. about. We've got, we've got the dynamic right, Jonathan. Absolutely, you should be feeding the grapes. He's oh, just said we should wouldn't let make him dress like that. It's so embarrassing. Oh, <laughs> your timing was so perfect as well on the subject matter. So thanks, Jonathan. Certainly, I'm <laughs> upset that he wasn't wearing that when he was on the show earlier. <laughs> 
That's hilarious. Uh, that's I totally amazing. Lost train of thought, but yeah, that's what I was saying about Cheryl, <laughs> Cheryl Sandberg, and sort of saying, you know, it's also up to women to lean in and put themselves forwards for those situations, and it is difficult at times. You know, it is difficult in it, uh, um, and I think women just inherently don't feel as confident to do that. And if you look at, um, you know, if you look at the postgraduate education circuit there are there are more men than women you know that i mean you know mm. and it's and it's difficult and then of course there's all the wider issues around you know who who's who's doing the child care the caring you know i've had a couple of years of you know looking after kids and elderly ill parents you know and it's very challenging um mm. and that's not because john's saying you know you should be doing that but it's sort of how you know, we've sort of naturally fallen into that. And then I think, and I know you said, you know, you've sort of found this with Charlotte. And then you think, well, why why have we naturally fallen into that sort of rather stereotypical um, roles? Um, apart from today, obviously, where I'm glad he's stepping up. <laughs> Absolutely right. He should be waiting on you like that. Yeah, I don't know if it's a treat for him to be dressed quite like that for you. Anyway, it was obviously for the audience. That was, um, You know, it's funny because, yeah, we did talk a talk about that, didn't we, last time? Where, I think we talked about you know, it off, off, off. Yeah, but, off. but um, you know, we, we, we found it interesting. You know, why is it, you know, you, you, you but then I, I can't, you know, I don't, I don't like my own answer to that question. Like, why did, why have we ended up, uh, you know, gendering our, our roles personally and professionally more than we would have expected to, mm, having it, had kids? It's a really under, 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 under the pressured circumstances that we did, right? And uh, and then this, the, 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 you know, the, the answer there ends up being biopsychosocial and that uh, depending on who you are, depends on whether or not which factors of, uh, affecting that are or aren't controversial, right? In a certain way, some, some people would want to uh, level the biological differences there because that would be controversial and others would feel want to level the social differences because it would be controversial. But fundamentally, it's a bit of a mixed bag. And sometimes, especially when the pressure's on, and, and for us, we look on and reflect about the time where there is no separation between sort of COVID and twins, uh, which means that we ended up in this really funny spot where that was a very pressurized circumstance that then survival was key, right? It, it wasn't a, well, that's which of these five brilliant options should we take? It was like, Jesus Christ, how do we keep the, how do we keep the lights on? How do we keep the kids alive? How do we keep ourselves safe? Yeah. And, and might this kill our elderly parents, right? It's just that yeah. sort of circumstance means that potentially we did have to do, do, revert to something that was a bit more primal. And it turned out that it, it sort of really gendered our roles more than we yeah it's so, interesting but I, I think it's know, I but I think there's definitely a role for um for men to to be aware of this and I'll give you a really good example that happened to me recently so I sit on the um committee of the British Patellofemoral Society so it's it's right. it's very male it's very surgical right. and my role there is to push the profile of physio constantly try and integrate physio um yeah. and the surgeons that are on the committee are all Pro physio, they're very nice, but um, they said, "Okay, right, we, we need to have a meeting. Oh, it, oh, it needs to be our, our, after work when we can all do it. At uh, uh, let's do it at sort of seven, eight o'clock." And actually, it was great for me because just as I was thinking, "Okay, that's a really bad time for me in my house. You know, it's a really busy time. How am I gonna? How am I gonna manage this? Do I do I admit that actually that's the time sorting the kids out?" Or and it and it well, might that be 
it, you know, it's seen as unprofessional that I'm, I'm talking about that, you know, or should I just, how should I handle this? And as I was kind of going through that, one of the other surgeons said, actually, do you know what? I think there are people on this committee that have got kids and that's not always going to work. Why don't we vary it as to what time we do it? So that was, that was someone just thinking on that we need to be aware of these other issues as well and that's that's what we need we need a culture of people seeing that there are people juggling things and of course some of those are men you know it's not just women as well but if we all have a culture of yes we're all passionate about our work we want to push things forward and do really well but someone's you know if I'm there and I'm I can hear that the kids are sort of drowning in the bath I'm not going to be much good to anyone so you know. <laughs> I need to just kind of balance that a little bit. Um, oh, I, love I, love, I love that really brutal example you've decided to reach for there with the kids drowning in the bath. But yeah, I think what for me, funnily enough, I was thinking about the bath because it's just like for you know, I there's no there's no business meeting that'll stop me getting back for best for bath time, which is born partly out of there was no way I was going to leave Charlotte doing bath time on her own when they were at their worst. Whereas now it's become something that I'm really pleased at, at maintaining that routine and really being able to leave leave that guy in, in, in that uniform at the door to some degree. Um, but, it's, but it's funny because you're right, it's the sort of distraction, the balance. It's also a, a great example of where because these things are passion projects for people like us, and, and Joe that was on before, yeah, and, and why these conversations have ended up being really interesting. This this sort of start in the clinical and they meandered to the social because <laughs> these identities are interwoven because they, as passion projects, they can encroach, but then we kind of let them because there is no clean line between uh, the different parts of ourselves. And uh, and that that does then mean that, that you know, your families in, end up in, involved in it and, and it's like we, we all accept that there isn't an easy answer to it but we, we i think we all seem to aspire uh, to more honesty with ourselves and then more honesty between each other so that then people that are being brash and sort of implying that they've got it all together it's usually a bit of a front or it's usually I, yeah, they're trying no, to be a no little one, bit of no ownership one. No one has it nailed 100%. If, if so, I want to meet them. And I always say, it, it, it reminds me of the phrase I often use, you always see people's public parenting, where they're terribly charming to their children and polite and, you know, and their children look perfect. And then I'm like, I, I, I'm sure they probably do shout at their kids, but they just do it at, you know, yeah, at yeah. home. And, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think I've, I've got away with that a little bit, because obviously I've got a bit of a dark sense of humour, so I've been making these sort of test and control jokes, haven't I, which has been like a sort of a, a hairy neglect based joke really with, with uh, as if people I've met the mistake the other day how on earth do the park how on earth do you tell them apart so we only feed one and just walked away I realized I've probably got to be careful with that now really with strangers social services <laughs> yeah I know it's like maybe, maybe stop doing that but right we're out of time mate thank you so much oh it's so you nice know, to chat just, Jack as yeah, always 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 you know and thank you so much for all your support over the years Oh, unbelievable pleasure. unbelievable and uh, it's been such a pleasure to be able to promote your work and continue to obviously that doesn't end with this but physio matters podcast does that long form i'm so glad we got that full episode in together yeah um, before that closed off but um yeah more, more to come and, and, and uh, obviously it's so excited for your keynote therapy live in a few months and stuff yeah. so you know just wonderful so have a have a great rest of your weekend well well done good and, work uh, nearly, really nearly, impressive nearly, nearly there, nearly there. the end yeah. is in sight all right yeah. Nice one, mate. Speak soon. Bye. Cheers.